Amen. Turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Galatians chapter 2. The book of Galatians chapter number 2 this evening. And uh, lest you and I trust the Lord to do something for us and speak to our hearts. And uh, maybe we might learn just a little bit from God's word. Uh, Just a little bit in context. Verse 1, Paul goes to Jerusalem after 14 years, he and Barnabas. They take Titus with them for the first church council. They arrive in uh, Jerusalem and they meet with the, uh, with the Peter, James, and John. And uh, they uh, agree with Paul that Paul's gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel that God gave him was truly of the Lord. They vindicated Paul's apostleship and uh, they left. We start at verse 11. Look at this, please, now. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Antioch was the central headquarters For Gentile Christians. It was the headquarters of the mission outreach in that day. It mothered the missions movement as we know it today. A rapid growing church. A city of in excess of 500,000 in that day. According to the historical writers. And so we see that. Things have been going so good at the church of Antioch. News have got back, have have reached back to Jerusalem, the mother church. And um, they're wanting to know what's going on down there. Thing is growing financially, numerically. People are being saved. And so either Peter went on his own or James has sent him to Antioch. And so we take up with Peter arriving from Jerusalem down to Antioch. And Paul says, oh, by the way, if Peter was the first pope, you're going to like the way Paul talked to him. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him. To the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, maybe James sent somebody down there. He did eat with the Gentiles. You think maybe James might have heard that Peter had been eating with the Gentiles? But when they were come, he withdraw and separated himself Fearing them that were of the circumcision or of of the Jewish religion. And other Jews dissembled themselves with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with this dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. I said unto Peter before them all. If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles. And all as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles live as do the Jews? Now notice, if you would please, that the rest of the chapter is dealing 
with a head-on meeting between Paul and Peter. Both of them Jews. One has the authority to the Gentiles, the other to the Jew. And Paul is about to straighten the first pope out, if that's who this is. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Boy, I tell you what, there's a whole bunch of doctrine in those verses. I like Galatians and Romans because they go hand in hand. They're both doctrinal books. They're both uh, talking about uh, doctrine. And I I love doctrine. I really do. Doctrine is what you believe. And uh, I'm glad I'm not a non-doctrinal man. I'm glad I know in whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. All right, so the Jerusalem counselor council has been convened, verse 1 and 2. And they have a doctrinal clarity has been established in the rest of the verse. Now, Peter knows the right answer. He knows you are justified by faith and not by works. Uh, he knows you are saved by faith and through grace. He knows that. But there's a lot of things we know we don't live also. Peter knew the truth. But whenever he got his nose in a crack, he kind of slid a little bit. It's called backsliding. It's called Where you used to be, but you're not anymore. And because of his inconsistency, there has has developed a conflict. And I thought tonight I'd take this text and try to apply it uh, theologically. And then make a practical application around how to resolve conflict. Resolving conflict. If mom and dad, husband and wife would learn this truth tonight, you'd be a lot happier at the house. And so would the kids. If a lot of Baptists had learned this tonight, there'd be a lot less Baptist churches in the world. They'd cut down on the church splits. If a lot of members would uh, realize this tonight and learn how to handle conflict, um, you wouldn't be 
church jumping. Uh, You wouldn't be looking for what made you feel good. You'd be looking for what made God feel good. And uh, there's a lot of difference in that. So if it would be all right, unless you and I just begin. Uh, Peter has arrived at Antioch. Unless you and I look at Peter's conduct down at Antioch, away from the safety and the shelter of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Now he's outside of his comfort zone. He's in a Gentile church, and that church is growing like wildfire. They're sending missionaries everywhere. They're soul winning. And have you ever thought about this? You take heathen folks who's locked up to heathen idolatry. And most generally, if you receive heaven or even get to heaven, you've had to sacrifice your kids. Either that or give your whole life away. And can you imagine a bunch of folks wrapped up in that kind of bondage and idolatry? And they're trying their best. They believe maybe that the Jews have an answer because they've heard about his God, their God opening the Red Sea. They've heard about the miracles and everything else. Can you imagine all of a sudden a bunch of heathen idolaters heard that it was a one true God? And they heard that Israel has a one true God. But you got to have an operation to join. And you have all these strict ceremonial laws. You've got to change your eating habits. You've got to change your clothing habits. You've got to change your economic habits. You can no longer hook an ox and an ass together. You can no longer sow diverse seeds in the same garden. No longer can a woman wear that which pertaineth to a man. I mean, look, man. In idolatry and in heathenism, you're not as locked up as you are when you get into Judaism. At least you can eat fish on uh, any other day except Friday. And here these heathen idolatrous people is searching for God. You say nobody searches for God. Everybody searches for God. In one fashion or another, there is a void in the heart of man that only God can fill. And we'll try everywhere in the world, and you know that's the God's truth. Imagine with me the folks in Corinth, the folks in Galatia, searching And looking, and all of a sudden, Paul comes along and says, you can get to heaven by faith, by grace. No eating habits changed. Maybe some of your drinking has to change. (laughs) Some of your carousing might change. But you can be saved by faith through grace. Wow. Can you imagine the influx of people in that Antioch church when they heard 
For by grace are you saved through faith. Don't have to offer your little babies to the crocodile gods. No longer have to lay your little screaming babies on the arm of Molech and listen to them scream as they roll off into the belly of that hot furnace. Can you imagine the influx when they find out the liberty that is in Christ and that church at Antioch is growing like wildfire. People up at Jerusalem is concerned about it. They've even questioned Paul's doctrine and had the first church council just to straighten old Paul out. When Paul got there, they found out He's a pretty tough cookie to straighten out. And they accepted his gospel. They sent him back. Now, I don't know if James sent Peter or not. James being the pastor of the church at, at Jerusalem. I don't know if they sent, but I don't know. Peter may have gone on his own. He said, I'd just like to see what's going on. Well, he went. And in verse 11, we see his conduct. And the Bible says... But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Now, can you imagine? They probably invited. Can you imagine having Peter there? He had been with Jesus three and a half years. Probably the most powerful preacher there was. Known in that day. He preached one time. 3,000 folk got saved. He preached again and multitudes got saved. He preached again and 5,000 got saved. Can you imagine how many folks over at Galatia wanted Peter to sign his Bible? I mean, buddy, word was out. Peter is coming to town. And I'll bet you that drew a crowd. What do you want to bet? And folks started coming, started coming. Peter comes down and he starts being invited to the homes of the people in the church of Antioch. Peter found out what real food tasted like. Huh? And Peter's accepting all the invites to the houses. He did not act like an Orthodox Jew. He did not eat like an Orthodox Jew. And probably one evening they're eating and they hear a knock on the door. And somebody goes to the door and they come back and says, oh, that's, uh, that's the folks from Jerusalem. They've come down to check things out. Oh, Peter must turn white as your T-shirt. He said, who'd you say that was? Oh, that's the, that's the folks that James sent down. He, just, he sent some Jewish Christians down. Verse 12, for before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when he heard that knock on the door and found out that there were some Jewish Christians outside, Peter said, I think I have a phone call. I think my mother-in-law is calling the Pope mother-in-law. You'll get that. The Pope's, the first Pope's mother-in-law has called. You say, how you know he got a mother-in-law? Because Jesus healed her. Yeah. Of course, that's before they started celebrating celibacy. 
if he was the first pope. Amen. My mother-in-law is calling. And if he has any sense at all, his mother-in-law is calling. He better leave. But that's not why he left. He left because he did not want those Jews, Christians, to find out he was eating catfish. And pork chops. Might have been breakfast, bacon and eggs. And when they come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them, which were of the circumcision. Notice his conduct. That's not mine. Mine sounds like a duck. I know that's not mine because mine would be quacking. Here's somebody's mother-in-law, right? Calling, right? <laughs> Notice his conduct, if you would please. First of all, his conduct was motivated out of fear. Notice the Bible said, fearing. Notice what it says in verse 12. Fearing them that were of the circumcision or of the Jewish religion or the saved Jewish Christians. See, that church at Jerusalem did not immediately change all the dietary laws of Jews. You can bet on that. You can bet they didn't get saved one day, quit eating fish, start eating fish the next day. They were still consumed in some of those ceremonial laws of the Jews. Now, you, you can just about bet on that. And so when these folk came down, first of all, Peter's conduct was motivated by fear. And by the way, this was Peter's downfall. This was Peter's downfall. The fear, he was not afraid of losing his testimony. He was not afraid that somebody wouldn't be saved if they saw him there. He was not afraid of any other thing but the fear of man. He was afraid what men may think, say, or do. And we are just as guilty, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I mean, I, you know, we're just all made out of the same stuff. Believe me, we are. We are. We all made out of the same stuff. And Bible said, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. You remember that? And... That we shouldn't end of a sound mind. So Peter here responds out of fear. Is there anybody here, maybe, that ever has ever responded out of fear? Has anybody here ever got so close that you maybe stretched the truth just a little bit? How fast were you going? Well, uh, you, you wouldn't believe this, but we've changed tires on this truck. And, and it throws that speedometer off. And according to our speedometer, we were doing 110, but I know we was only doing 55. <laughs> Ask me how, what the speed limit is in front of the Miller's Brewery. It's not 70. It's not 65. I'll tell you exactly how much it is. And the ninth of this month, I'm going to go see if I have to pay it or not. 
Has anybody here ever been tempted, maybe not to lie, but maybe just fudge a little bit? That's what Peter did. He got caught. He got caught. And because of fear of man, his conduct was wrong. I thought we'd at least get one amen there because many of us fear many things. Secondly, notice if you would please in verse 13, his conduct was that of hypocrisy. In verse number 13, your Bible says, the other Jews disassembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with his dissimulation. Peter's problem Without the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Peter was a rank coward. He was a coward and he was a compromiser. Does anybody here remember the rooster deal? Do you remember? You say, well, he repented and cried. Yeah, but he's still a hypocritical coward apart from the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit filled him, he had a backbone like a railroad tie and a heart as big as a watermelon. And he stood and preached some of the best sermons you'll ever hear in the book of Acts. Without God, without the Holy Spirit, he was absolutely a winny-ninny, noodle-back Baptist. I wonder how many of us could fall into that same category. I, you know, I, I just have to be honest with you. Every once in a while, the old gene shows up. You know what happened to Peter? The old Peter showed up. And he compromised because of fear. Because his cowardness came out. And imagine the impact of his behavior on all the other Christians. Notice, not only did he dissimulate, not only did he... Leave. Not only did he get out, but notice other Jewish, other Jews disassembled likewise with him. Insomuch that Paul's associate pastor left too. Barnabas. Holy Spirit filled Barnabas. Missionary Barnabas. You see, can I help you a little bit? You are not in this by yourself. Somebody is watching you. As recent as today, somebody asked me, what about those guys in the hall of the church that never come to church? You say, well, they're watching television. You don't come to church to watch TV. You come to church to listen to preaching and to feel what's going on in the service and experience what's going on in the service. And as recent as today, somebody said, Preacher, what are you going to do about those folks who come to church that don't want to go into the church service? Somebody's watching. Somebody's questioning. Somebody's Christianity and love for the love for the Lord and their walk with God. Somebody's questioning that. 
You see, you're not an island by yourself. Somebody, somebody somewhere is watching. I might have told you this. My wife called me one time to go to Hawaii. And that's the last time. It was so hard to believe. We picked up and picked out a mission work that I'd supported years and years ago before I got into evangelism. I noticed the man's name and I remembered beginning to support him 40 some years ago. So I thought if we was going to go to church, we might as well go to a Baptist church, somebody that was of the same brand and what have you. And uh, we walked in and sat down on the, the second row, I guess. And I sat down with my wife, just standing there, sitting there just a minute. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Dr. Wolfenbarger, how are you? Maui, Hawaii. Dr. Wolfenbarger, how are you? I said, I feel a lot better since I'm in this place instead of another one right now. You never know. Somebody's watching. An old coward, noodleback Peter. After all, he's the Pope. Who's not going to follow him? After all, he's the one that preached and 5,000 folk got saved. After all, he's been with Jesus three and a half years. I mean, if he does it, it's got to be all right. And if he does it, it's got to be biblical. Not really. Not really. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you do because somebody's following and listening to you. Hmm? What it do with you if I, if you went to the races one Sunday and at 10 o'clock I come and sit down by you? You say, well, what are you doing, your preacher? I soul winning. Mm-hmm. How about if you saw me at the ball game, sit in church? Would that make it all right just because I was there? See, these folk followed Peter. And when they followed Peter, they got wrong. Notice his hypocrisy. Imagine, if you would, please, if you would, here is a potential church split between Peter and Paul. Hmm? Yeah. You know why? Because a bunch of Jews left with Peter. Even Paul's associate left with Peter. And your Paul, your Paul stands with egg on his face. If you don't confront it, if you don't straighten it out, we got the first Zionist church of Jewish believers going to start out of the church at Antioch. Here is a potential church split. A conflict. Notice not only, if you would please, his hypocrisy and his fear. 
But notice also in verse 14, his legalism. Look at this, verse 14. Paul asked him, said, he said to him, compel us the Gentiles to live as do the Jews. Is that what he said? Why do you compel these Gentiles to live like the Jews when just a little while ago you were living like Gentiles? You know, I find most of those folks who are real legalistic, they have an attitude of superiority. Now, Brother... uh, most folks here, I don't know how many of you has ever been in a church that all you heard was you can't. You can't wear this. You can't go there. You can't think this. You can't, you can't, you can't. Have you ever been in any of those? They got you under such a bunch of rules that uh, and a separation is not about doctrine. It's always about pleasing a man. Some man down the road, way back yonder, come up with something. And boy, they just jumped on that bandwagon like crazy. And now down through the generations, they've passed that, they've passed that legalistic uh, view off on everybody else. And, uh, I, and I, I, I feel guilty of that. I've, I fell right into that deal. I was led to Christ by Jack Howell's preacher boy. Guess what he preached until he went to California. But it happens that if it was a sin in Farmer's Branch, Texas, but it wasn't a sin in California. When he went to California, where I used to be president of the gang, started, he had a church in Gardena, California, and he changed what he believed over in Farmer's Branch he pumped on me, I believe it, and I run a family with its stinking legalism. Because I didn't have enough sense to think for myself. But you asked me, how many of you had enough sense to think for yourself when you've been saved two weeks? Just jump on that, on that wagon and run a while. And I believe my preacher, and I got led off into this legalistic lifestyle and oh how I hurt folk for many many years and verse 4 Paul says they crept in unawares privately to spy out their liberty that they might bring them Back in to what? Bondage. I think a lot of husband has the idea. They don't know the difference between submission and bondage. You know what I mean? A lot of dear ladies are living not under biblical submission, but under legalistic bondage. Super subjective women 
is not a biblical doctrine. Help me it is. Not slavery. And your wife has a right to disagree with you. Now she don't have a right to be disagreeable. But she can disagree. And I don't know if you know this or not. But if you've never been wrong, you're the only second perfect person in the world. Did you know that? Now, I listen to my wife because my wife is a very wise, intelligent lady. And she has a walk with the Lord. And she, she, she listens to the Lord. And she reads her Bible. She, she, she honestly has an intimate relationship and fellowship with God. I'd be the biggest kind of fool not listen to my wife. But now when come push come to shove, I've got a relationship with God too. And I walk with God too. And when there's a disagreement, there's just got to be a chairman of the board. And I'm sorry you're looking at him. But you better know, my wife is not a super subjective little slave. She is a human being that has all the rights in Christ that I do. Amen. Amen. But now you get in some of them other churches that has that legalism, boy, a woman ain't nothing but an animal. Look away, they make them dress. Dear God, can you imagine? I think... Prettiest thing I've ever seen is culottes <laughs> on a goat. You say, preacher, you're going to get a lot of mail. I get a lot of mail. But I don't get to read it. Mary and my wife reads it all. And if they think it would be hurting or demotivational, I never get it. So write Ginger or Mary and they'll be glad to read it for you. Amen. But don't make your wife and your family hate God. Being a hypocrite. Operating out of fear instead of love. And jumping on a legalistic wagon because you heard somebody talk about it on television. Notice if you would please... Paul's, Peter's conduct. I have a couple of minutes. Please let me talk to you for just about a minute now out of verse 14 through 21. I'll read verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. Verse 11 I withstood him to his face. Let me give you two or three things. A solution to a conflict. Number one, confrontation. He said, I withstood him to his face. 
You got something against somebody? That's not mine either. Mine's a duck. It goes quack, quack. If mine goes quack, I'm a leaving out of fear. If you confront conflict in the right spirit, the disagreement and the wounds do not fester. And there's a biblical way to confront a situation. You first of all make sure that your attitude is with grace and not law. When you confront somebody in the Lord, you make sure you do it in grace and that not law because when you approach someone more than likely you're the innocent and they're the guilty trials already been settled you wrong me you shouldn't have done that and most generally arguments does not settle but they engross and they get hotter because of confrontation because We face them with law and not grace. Would everybody, could I have an amen? You say, well, preacher, I never have any confrontations. I am not a confrontational person. I hate confrontations. I really do. I don't like them. I I don't know of anybody who does. Do you know what? well, maybe you know somebody that likes it. I think Ginger sometimes like it pretty well. I'm not too sure. She always wins. That's the reason. Can I give you a verse? Proverbs 27. Look at it if you would, please. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6. And most of us has the tendency to just let something Seethe and get worse and get worse. If you cannot forgive and forget, then you got to conf- you got to confront and get it out. Get it. Get it. Notice, if you would, verse verse five. Open rebuke is better than secret love. But now, notice in context with the next verse. Faithful are the wounds of a what? If you're going to confront, you make sure you're a friend. And you're going in grace. Not going like you are the one that's right. Not like you're the one that's correct. Not like you're the one who just fell out of heaven and going to straighten all the world's problems up. Now you confront me in that attitude, you better duck. Because I'm not going to stand there and let somebody... You say, well, you're a Christian. We both will be before it gets over. Now, you confront me like the Bible says. You confront me as a friend. You confront me to that me, you and I both may grow in the Lord. But you, you confront me that way. I'll always be open. I'll guarantee. Always. Always have been. But now you walk into my office and start telling me how the cow eat the cabbage. And I'll tell you where to go find your cabbage. You're welcome. 
faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend. And so we got to be careful now. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, one way to handle these conflicts is confrontation. And may I say to you, if it is a public thing, it has to be handled in a public forum. What happened was, is Peter dissimulation had affected the whole. And there was Jewish members of the church following this hypocritical backslider. And Paul's assistant has followed this hypocritical backslider. And so it has affected the whole church. And the Bible said, they that sin rebuke before all that all may fear. 1 Timothy 5 and 20. And there are things that has to be confronted with and handled openly. Not easy. It's easier to turn your back and just walk away. It's easier to stick your head in the proverbial sand like the ostrich and act like you don't see it. But it's not healthy for the body. You understand that? There are just some things that has to be confronted Publicly, and you confront with the truth. That's the second thing, with the truth. With the truth. I don't have time, but you need to read verses 15 through 21. Let me give you the, the context. Verse 15, notice I want to show you just, just one word. Notice verse, verse 15, the first word. Notice what it is. We. We. You know who the we is? A couple of Jews. Paul and Peter. And the rest of the chapter is Paul talking to Peter. And he's done trimmed his sails. And he starts talking about their position. He talks about their problems. The problem is very simple. Look at this. He said, but if, verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found what? You know, a Jew was only a sinner if they were a rapid, hideous sinner. You only call a Jew a sinner if they were really profound sinners like adultery, fornication, homosexuality. But a Jew never referred to another Jew as a sinner. And Paul said, Peter, if while you and I are seeking to be justified, we find out that we're sinners also. Does that make Christ the author of sin? God forbid. 
Romans chapter 3 sometime, you can read it. We conclude that all are under sin, Jew and Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but the power of God under everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Gentile. So when they started figuring this out, all of a sudden, Peter and Paul realizes there's a problem with Jews. They need to be saved just like us. They can't eat enough kosher food to get saved. They can't keep enough law to get saved. And now they've got a problem. They need to be saved. And then he starts talking in verse 16 about being justified. Really, what does justified mean? Someone said it's just as if I had never sinned. But you have. You have. What does justified mean? I close. I was reading today about an Englishman, a real wealthy Englishman, who bought a Rolls Royce car, brand new one. How many remember us having a wedding down to the building and had two Rolls Royces taking the bride and the groom and the, and the attendants away? Two Rolls Royces sitting underneath the canopy down to the other church. And after the wedding, everybody got in the Rolls Royces. <laughs> Front one wouldn't start. <laughs> Wealthy Englishman bought him a brand new Rolls Royce, took out, out of England, down into Scotland. When he got to Scotland, the thing broke down. Quit running. He called a factory Rolls Royce, hadn't told him that his car broke down. And this is back before flying was so convenient. But they put a mechanic on the plane, flew to Scotland. He looked at the car, saw what he needed, flew back to England, got back on the plane, come back to Scotland, fixed the car. Guy got in the car and left. The guy kept expecting to get a bill because he had wealth. He could pay for it. He just kept expecting. He did not get one. And he sent a note, sent a letter to Rolls-Royce. And said, please allow me to ask you, where is the bill for my car being fixed? He got a letter back. He said, dear sir, we have no record of your car ever being broke down. No record. No record. Justified means God has no record of you ever being broke down. That's justification. How do you get that? By faith. Not by works. Not by law. By faith. You say, I bet old Peter held a grudge against Paul for embarrassing him in front of that whole church. Tell you one thing, if Paul did that to me, I got him in the parking lot. I'd straighten his string out. Yeah, I know. I probably would have too. Sometimes when you want, you can turn to the last book. Last chapter, Second Peter. Verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him 
hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Our brother, Paul. When the spirit is right, And the approach is right. And the motive is right. That's how you handle conflict. 